Good morning. So I'm Jamar Williams, and today we'll be going over an inductive Bible study. So John stole some of my material, but not all of, of it. So it'll be kind of like a review. So usually when I open up the word, the first thing I do is pray. I always try to pray because I, I find myself not in the right mindset when I come to the word. So prayer is essential every time we read or study the Bible. It may seem small, but 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We are dependent on God for spiritual discernment of his word. We don't rely on our own reasoning, because if we do, we will fail every time. We don't just open the Bible and start reading like a normal book. It is not man's word, it is God's. And we won't understand it if we don't ask him to help us and teach us. So first, we always begin our Bible studies by asking God for help and guidance. We pray for the Holy Spirit to help us understand, remember, and do what God's word says humbly asking God to allow us to receive the implanted word with meekness. So when you pray your prayers, they don't have to be long and drawn out. They can be short prayers. A lot of prayers in the Psalms are short. And we also see Peter, when he was sinking in the water, he just said, Lord, save me. Just something short. So Psalms and Psalms 19 has a bunch of different scriptures that we can pray. Psalms 19:17 says, "Deal bountifully with your servant that I, that I may live and keep your word." 18 says, "Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law." Psalms 34 and 35, "Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart." Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Those are just short prayers that you can pray before you start reading your word. Once you have prayed, try to keep an attitude of prayer as you study the scriptures. The word inductive can sound confusing. It's a way to describe how we reason, but it's not a word we often use. In the Bible, Jesus often teaches us parables, which are stories that illustrate a lesson. We can use inductive reasoning to learn general principles from Jesus' specific parables. For example, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan about a man robbed and beaten on the road to Jericho. A priest and a Levite saw the man, but they did not stop. Then a Samaritan, an outsider, stopped and helped them. Using inductive reasoning, we can take this specific story and make or draw a broader conclusion that we should love our neighbors as ourselves and show kindness 
even to outsiders. Inductive reasoning involves moving from concrete observation and examples to more general principles that seem like likely based on the evidence, even if they are not guaranteed. Though the parable, which is specific illustration, we can make the more general lessons to love others. Of course, one parable does not absolutely prove the principle, but it gives us an example to reason from. We take the parable as a way to draw a broader conclusion that we can apply to other situations. This is how inductive reasoning works. We observe specific cases and experience and make logical conclusions and rules that can be applied more broadly. Our conclusions are not always 100% certain, but they give us a reasonable guideline for making future predictions and judgments. When we apply this approach in the Bible, we're looking at what we see in the text to learn what it says. An inductive Bible study is about faithful exercise of coming to the Bible without an agenda and reading the passage to establish God's agenda. The opposite of this is a deductive Bible study. Another name for that is a topical study. It starts with truths, the Bible says, and applies them to your life. For example, the Bible teaches general command like love your neighbor as yourself. Using deductive reasoning, we can take this biblical principle and deduce what it means for practical situations like helping a neighbor in need. Or the Bible teaches that God is loving and just. We can deductively reason that God will respond to us with love and justice. So deductive Bible studies apply God's word and it relates to specifics of our lives. We deduce specific applications from what scripture clearly states in general. So in the inductive Bible studies, we have three phases. We have observation, we have interpretation, and then we have application. So first we'll start off with observation. So observation can be defined as the awareness, the art of awareness or the act of taking notice. Observation is simple. It's just gathering all the facts. The goal of observation is to get the facts from the text as they are. And you do this by asking yourself, what do I see in the text? Carefully examining the facts is the base, and we are able to form the accurate interpretation and application of scripture from our solid base. As 2 Timothy 2.15 explains, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We often read through a passage of scripture without absorbing how much of what it is saying. When we study, we spend more time looking at the text by reading and rereading it. 
Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 states, These commandments that I give you today are to be, your, be on your heart and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This allows us to be more effective and efficient in our interpretation. After that, we interrogate the text by asking the right questions of the text. You want to ask the type of questions that will help you understand the author's intent. So the basic method that we usually use is the five W's and one H method. Who, what, why, where, and how, and when. <laughs> These questions will help you gather basic information about the text. The questions cannot be an interpretation or an explanation of the meaning or an application, just an observation about the text. And if you have those type of questions already, save them for when you get to the, the next step. So, and you can also um, list any repeated words, phrases, list any commands, promises, um, comparisons, or contrasts, and list any cause and effect. So when we do who is asking who is speaking or being spoken to in the passage. What, look at what exactly is being said, the subject discussed. And when, just note when these events are happening and try to figure out where they are happening. So what does a good observation look like? Let me give you a few guidelines. So when you observe the text, usually you don't want to use your Bible unless you have a study Bible because you're going to do a lot of circling, highlighting, and writing. So you might want to print off a piece of paper with the text on there. And then you can use your pencil um, to, to write up all over the paper, however you want, highlight, do all those good things. But if you have a laptop, that's even better. You can do that too. So you observe patterns in the text. Um, you mark linking words like for, so that, therefore, and but. And then you can also summarize that. You can write down connections you see to other passages in the scriptures. Write down um, the times, the places. Write down different questions. One of the best tools for observation is memorization. Put the passage in your head, and you'll probably notice things you've never noticed before. So Professor Howard Hendricks, as you heard about last week, was a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he required all of his first year seminary students to come up with 25 observations from Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they had to come up with 25 observations from this. And then after they came up with the 25, he would tell them to come up with another 25. So he wanted to um, he wanted them to know that how how deep the scriptures was, how you can study it for years and there's still more to see. He wanted them to um, enjoy self-discovery. It's fun when other people tell you what's in the scriptures, but it's even better when you can find that for yourself. So when I first did this, it took me weeks to get to 25 because you can't just ask the scriptures questions. You also have to answer. So it's tough and it takes time, but the more you do it, the better you will get. So let's take a shot at observation now. So on your sheet, um, I didn't even put the verse down, but it's John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. And then we'll just observe the text. Would anybody like to read it for us? Thank you. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Thank you. So as we look at the text, who are the people mentioned in the story? There's a crowd there. There's a crowd. The father. The father. And Jesus, all right. <laughs> I'm 
So those are good observations. The crowd. Yep, the crowd. So we have the the three people mentioned in the story. Now, what is the subject being discussed in this story? Jesus was there. Why Jesus was there? Uh -huh. Yep. Talking about his crucifixion. Yep. Talking about his coming death. Yep. Okay. When do or will these events occur? move on to the next question where did or will this happen same thing, same thing. <laughs> okay so what are some repeated words in the text light light that's good. Glorify. Glorify. Yep. Yeah, that's good. So, after we have the basic questions, <clears throat> And then we usually dig deeper. So now you're looking deeper into the scriptures for just questions you may be curious about. Um, just continue to observe the text till you can anymore. It just depends on how much time you have to do the observation. But just continue to reread and read the text, looking for more and more and more. So when um, you mentioned, you know, having 25 observations, what one observation, you know, just do the who, why, what, where, when, why, and then break that down 25 separately times? <laughs> <laughs> no, because, and then you just, just try to come up with them on your own. So get the basics first. Like, you don't have to do 25, because it may take you a long time. It depends on how much time you have to study. But try to get as much, get as many as you can within that time, because that will help you. So, like, just how many? Like, you can kind of break it down with all the who's, and you're just like, okay, so we're, you know, highlighting, mm -hmm. like, you know, how many times Jesus is referenced, and then you're kind of going through 
like that type of. So if I start at who, I would just write all the names next to who, and then that might be, I might be done with the who. Okay. And then I'll go on to the next one and see what I can do there. And then if it's a group of things, I just group them together. See, the, you just have to keep looking in the text and then you'll come up with more observations. You have to look again because I didn't, didn't remember. Yeah. So in I don't know in Bible study sometimes some people love to do those questions, but those are those are that's not my favorite study material. Then I feel like I hyper focus on things sometimes. So it's very different on how you want to analyze and kind of break it down. Yeah. Yeah, because you're um, that's a good point. Cause you're you're asking those questions because you're you're trying to understand the main point. So you don't want to lose sight of the forest for the trees. You can get so caught up in a uh, thousand observations, but how is it all focused on the main point? How's it supporting and helping understand that? Yep. So once you have your observations finished, we'll, you move on to interpretation. So observations tells us what the text says, and interpretation tells us what the text means. Context, what does it mean? Why is this said? And why is this said here? And what does this imply? Not what it means to us, but what the passage meant to the people who originally heard it. The goal of this stage is to arrive at the author's intended meaning for a text. So as John said last week, context rules. It's going to rule what you, how you interpret the text. Context just refers to the words, sentences, and paragraphs that come before and after the text you are studying. This prin principle emphasizes the fact that you discover the true meaning of a passage only when you consider the words around it. Your interpretation should be consistent with the theme, purpose, and structure of the book in which it is found. So that's the first guideline, just number one, context rules. You got to have the context. You don't want to rip the scripture out of the context because that's how cults are starting. Like they're twisting scripture all around and confusing people. So the second guideline is the harmony of scripture. So scripture interprets scripture. No part of the Bible will ever undermine another part of the Bible. Sometimes sorting out what initially seems like a contradiction takes work, but this is the point of studying the Bible. I think as you read the Bible, you'll be amazed at how consistent its teaching is on things like sin, the nature of man, the characteristics of God. Don't base your convictions on an obscure passage of Scripture. Always seek the full counsel of the Word of God. And then the main idea, you need to get the main idea of the passage. The single meaning for each text, the author's intent. 
Always keep in mind what the author is trying to communicate. What's the main idea? What's the clear purpose? Any conclusion you come to must come from and support this main idea. Every Bible passage has one true meaning, the meaning God intended through the human author. What it meant to them is what it means. As a Puritan once wrote, there is only one meaning for every place in Scripture. Otherwise, the meaning of Scripture would not only be unclear and uncertain, but there would be no meaning at all, for anything which does not mean one thing surely means nothing. And then fourth, understand the relationship between the Testaments. So... You always want to start off, what did this passage mean to the original audience, whether you're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? How does the language and the culture shed light on, on the meaning? What is the literary style and device that are being used? And then how does the passage fit into the overall narrative theme of the Old Testament? Or how does this passage point forward and prepare the way for Christ and the gospel? How is this passage a fulfillment of something promised in the Old Testament? And how is the New Testament different from or similar to the Old Testament's teaching? So those are just some guidelines you use as you interpret the Bible. This approach seeks to understand the Old Testament passage first in its own context, while also recognizing the progressive nature of Revelation and appreciating how later scripture provides a fuller perspective. Um, the focus is on the text itself and the human author's intent, yet with eyes toward canonical connections. So even when we read the Old Testament. We want to be faithful to the scriptures. We don't want to always read stuff into it. We're not looking for Christ under every rock of scripture, but we know that all the scriptures point to Christ. So we're looking for the literal, historical, grammatical meaning of the text. So it is critical to to distinguish between interpretation and application. Rushing to application before discovering God's meaning is a sign that you want to control the text. You want to prioritize or personalize the text, but the text is God's. So we must be patient on our application. The Bible should be applied by every person, but it is God's meaning that must be applied not our own. Furthermore, what we will happen if the 10-year-old boy grows up thinking that you shall not steal means only that he should not shoplift chocolate bars. He will spend his adult days stealing from his employer by sleeping in the sun when he should be working. Why? He is confused. An application 
of you shall not steal with this meaning and therefore he never saw all the other applications. So now let's take a look at some interpretations. So we're just going to do the basics, really just getting the basic context of the book. So I didn't write it on here, but the verse is in John. So who wrote this book? John. <laughs> to whom was John writing? Early church. Early church. The crowd. The crowd. Disciples. The disciples. So when John wrote this book, he was writing both to believers and non-believers. So what was John writing about in his book? Christ. Quoting Jesus. Quoting Jesus. So what a reference to light and life and the light yep. and darkness. <coughs> yeah. Following Jesus' teachings. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. So what is the major theme or purpose of John's book? Most books don't always say like what the um, <coughs> what is the reason behind them writing the book. They just write. We know it's ultimately to um, for us to be saved, for us to grow in Christ. But they always don't give us a, a specific. But Glorify John God. does. Glorify God. Glorify God. Yep. Let's see if I can find it. Okay, so in um, John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why John has, has written this book. What is some things about John in this? If you, if you read the Gospel of John, he talks about himself a lot. <laughs> What does John usually say about himself? He's the one that Jesus loved. Yes, he's the one that Jesus loved. So as we read this, read the book of John, we know that that John loved Jesus and Jesus loved John. We see John sitting in Jesus' bosom, like he's right there. He want to be close to Jesus all the time. He's one of the core disciples that that was with Jesus, and 
we know that he loved him. So we can see how much he loves us from reading the book of John. So is there anything in this passage that is unclear? in that context of being, you know, a reader that happened after this, you know, you can see, like, obviously some of that confusion, and I think sometimes that can, some of that, like, confusion or unknowing can put us in the interpretation of how we would have responded in those times as well, knowing that we are and can be those sinners, those ones that are lost and confused. Yeah, yeah that's good. So also in the interpretation stage, this is where we, we seek to find the meaning. So in verse 27, it says, now my soul troubled. So I would probably just, I would, I would usually do a word study or something along that matters and just find out what it means. Like I might go back to the original language and just seek to find out the meaning of the of his soul being troubled because it could be deeper than what I'm thinking. And then I noticed that, that the Father is talking, so the Father is talking to Jesus from heaven. Like this doesn't happen all the time in the Old Testament. This is this is few. So I would probably just study that more and, and try to figure out like why he did it. Why he did it? Um, why didn't he do it all the time? Every time the Pharisees was questioning him, God could have just talked from heaven, like, but he didn't. So I would I would try to learn more about that and just so many things I would just try to dig deeper and, and dig deep as I can get at this stage and be able to interpret the scriptures from that. Then we'll move on to application. So we've observed and interpreted what the passage has to say. It's time to talk about how should you respond. Application relating the meaning of the ancient text to the reader's life. Application is living out the facts, which we uncover during our observation and interpretation stage. There is but one meaning to a text of scripture, though many applications can be made from that meaning to our lives. The meaning of, it, of the text discovered through proper interpretation must control the nature of its application. Yeah. 
without application, interpretation is merely a rational exercise. It is the study of scripture only for the sake of learning its subject matter. But one must do more than simply discover the meaning of God's word. The faithful interpreter also obeys its implications. Application is incredibly important. We may think that if we observe and interpret a Bible text well, then we have studied. But unless we apply what we see to our lives, we're not actually accomplishing anything of value. A great verse to remind you of the value of application is found in James 1:22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I'm guessing that most of us don't spend time studying the Bible with the express purpose of not applying it to our life. What are some things that keep us from applying scripture or applying it well? first one not understanding it well so there's certain scriptures that we could be confused about and we just don't understand not enough time to think hard about how it connects to our lives we're all busy we all get tired and distracted there's always something else to do unwilling to consider sin in our lives we see the Bible's job as affirming us rather than changing us. Next, we only ever apply scripture individually rather than doing it with someone who may see things in our lives that we don't see. And then the last one, we're not very introspective or honest about ourselves. So we have a hard time seeing what we're really like. Here are some questions you can ask yourself as you study a passage in the Bible to help apply it to your life. Does it point out a sin in my life? Is there a command to obey in this passage? Is there an encouragement in this passage? Is there a promise? How can I model, share, or teach this truth to encourage others? How can I apply this to my family and, and myself? Does it teach me something about God? So here are some guidelines to help us apply scripture. As I said, we always start with prayer. Um, 
the scripture says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Romans 8, 7. That is what we are apart from God's grace. We need to pray for spiritual sight to see the truth in his word. And then making time, making time to think deeply. Sometimes in the morning, there's so much going on that you don't have time to spend in God's word. So you have to find the right time to do that. And then don't read it quickly. Take your time, meditate on the word, let it fill you. Sometimes we read the word and right after we're done, we don't even remember what it says. But when you just take your time in the scriptures, looking for things, studying the word, you you grab a hold of it and it, it gets in you. And then you're able to share it with others and you're able to live it out. So as you go through the day, you remember it, it pops into your mind. You, you're able to, to use the word. And then as you're studying, just making sure you're writing. So as you study the word, write things out. Um, just write down whatever comes to your mind. Then also a good thing is to talk with somebody about it or have somebody to study with. That way you can keep each other accountable in the word. Then also listening. Sometimes after you spend time in the text on your own, it can be good to listen to someone else. Someone else's thoughts about it. Sermons are usually the best. You can download them or just listen to them. You can read through them. Another good thing is different devotional books, then commentaries. There's a lot of different ways to listen to other thoughts on a text. So now we'll look at some application. Is there a truth to believe about God in this passage? For me, that stands out is when God speaks down, and in here they say um, that it was like a thunderous roar. Mm -hmm. So, in this passage, that would be me observing that as the crowd witnessing like a sign. Jumping on like the repetition of the light, you jump down to 35. So Jesus is the light while we have this light um, you know, walking with it, lest the darkness overtake you. Um, when you're work, walking in the darkness, you don't know where you're going. So showing a reliance on Jesus and how that may, you know, be present in our life. Like how are, how am I relying on Jesus or do I feel like I'm lost in this darkness right now? Um, just some self-reflection on that. 
Okay. Yeah. I like that. Verse 30, how Jesus reaffirms that this voice has come for your sake and not mine. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus predicting his own death shows his basically the complete control of the situation. Uh, this is not something beyond his control, but he knows that it's coming to glorify God. I think that when you talk application, that's a good reminder that God is in complete control. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to pray from this text, what are some things that you would pray about? Like um, verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. I know what Jesus is talking about is, is way bigger. He's talking about his death and his resurrection, but um, sometimes my soul is troubled also. So just praying for God to give me strength during those times, during the times where I want to be lazy and don't want to do any work, like I, I need strength, or when I'm having family issues, like when, when I'm being unforgiving, when I'm being unloving or harsh, um, those things trouble me. So just asking God for strength to help me get through that. So that's pretty much it on the on the study. So we have gone over how to study the Bible using the inductive me method. Um, the first thing we always do when we come to the word of God is to pray. 
Pray for God's guidance before you read so you can understand his word. Come to the Bible in the spirit of humility, asking the Holy Spirit to instruct you. Next, we observe. We look carefully at all the details in a biblical passage. As Proverbs 2.4 says, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. We dig deep to understand everything we can. And then we interpret the passage. We try to figure out the meaning. We look at the context, the culture, to know what it meant to them. We compare parts of the Bible to ensure our interpretation fits the scriptures. As Acts 17.11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Last, we applied God's word to our own lives. We ask how these verses should change our thoughts, words, and actions. As Joshua 1.8 reminds us, keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Remember God's promises in Isaiah 55.11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. His word is active and powerful and it helps us. Studying the Bible this way takes effort, but it helps us understand God's teaching. Keep practicing these skills and the Lord will continue revealing his truth to you through his word. Thank you. So any uh, questions for Jamar? If you've heard about this inductive Bible study, anything that you'd like more clarity on or a little more explanation on? Okay. Well, good, job. good work, Jamar. Um, like I said, no class next week, but uh, we will pick back up the week after that looking at the Gospels, and so we'll, we'll dive into understanding the Gospels. So take care, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm.